Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Hockey News Podcast. I'm Stephen Ellis. Joining me as always is Ryan Kenny, and we are presented by BetMGM. Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How's life right now? Life is pretty good. I actually got uh, a new video game the other day. I got MLB The Show 22 oh. because I wanted something to play late at night that wasn't frenetic. So that, you know, leaves out Switch like version, hockey. Right? Switch version. I wanted something just kind of pastoral. So I'm, I'm the Blue Jays, obviously. And uh, just finding my footing, but so far so good. So that's a game where I bought twenty for I was like eight bucks when it was on sale, and I lo- I played it a few times. Like, this is fun, but like I'm so used to playing NHL 22, which uh, if you play NHL 22, I am now uh, a platinum one rated player. So if you know nice. what that means, that's a good thing. Um, basically, a couple friends of mine got COVID, and I just stayed home and played NHL with them all weekend long, and it was great. Nice. Um, yeah, I played MLB, and it's, just, it's a big learning curve from NHL or other sports games. I'm like, ah, this is fun. I just I never played a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, are you enjoying this really nice weather? Yeah, really. It's like uh, it was snowing last night in Toronto. So I posted a video on my on my Twitter last night about I, I had my first go-kart um, training session of the year. And um, I, I've driven in rain a lot. Actually, it's one of the, my least favorite things to do because uh, you get soaked. But... I set the fastest lap of my practice session, Congratulations. Um, which was great. But we only did three laps before they said, okay, this is ridiculous. Because uh, on my video, you can't see anything because there's so much snow on there. I had to open my visor, put my uh, my hand right here, took my glasses off, and drove one-handed in, in essentially ice to be able to see. That doesn't uh, sound ideal. So my suit and my uh, winter coat that I'd wear over it because I was so cold um, – they're drying right now in my apartment and they, <laughs> see I, I don't have the ability to smell anything so i have no idea if it stinks or not but mm. it, i can't imagine it's a great smell sorry roommates um <laughs> but yeah it's oh it was it was cold i don't recommend going into giant puddles when it's like minus two and snowing it sucks i will say i watched a bit of that video that you posted and it did literally look like a mario kart level yeah oh yeah, yeah. It, it's it's because i i was probably the most experienced guy in that group so i was just I was confident going there, but then the problem was the um, there was too much snow buildup in the cart engine that the throttle was sticking. And the, when the throttle sticks, that means you can't stop the cart. Ooh. So the part I didn't show was when I spun out because I couldn't hold control, and I basically had to jump out of the cart because the cart was going to go straight for the tires. Wow! Um, but I had spun it enough where I kind of got it where it was like it was loose, but I, I kept trying to turn the engine off, but it, the thing was. Uh, the engine switch wasn't working because it was basically frozen. Oh my! Uh, so we eventually got it stopped, but it's like uh, throttle sticking in a car could be one of the scariest things any person goes because you have no control. What happens? Mm. You, you basically are going to crash. In a, a go-kart, it sounds bad because you're not going as fast. If your throttle sticks, hope you enjoyed your time driving cars. Because- Here's Stephen Ellis's 
driving lesson of the day. It, it's not a fun experience, whether or not it's a race car or a real car. So, all right, let's talk hockey. Let's do it. That's why we're here. Uh, so, uh, this is something that was actually brought up uh, as a story idea for the Hawk News um, about a week ago. I believe Ian Kennedy wrote it, which was, who's been the best trade deadline acquisition? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of good players throughout the case. And it's a lot of the guys we kind of expected to be big guys. Mark andre Fleury has kind of helped Minnesota's goaltending, which is what we expected. Claude Giroux has made Florida just even more dangerous than they really were. Uh, and then you got Mark Giordano, who in a lot of cases, I believe, has been playing as the third-pairing defenseman in Toronto, but he's been like the best third-pairing defenseman the team's had in so long, so it's working. And yeah. the, these are kind of the acquisitions where I don't think any of these teams needed these specific players, but they got the guys who were out there making a difference either in more of a depth role uh, or, or, or like in Giroux's case, doesn't need to be the star player on the team. He's got these other guys, but then he's just able to relax and play great hockey. Or Flurry doesn't need to play every single game. So in these cases, it's working out. But mm-hmm. I guess who has been the best uh, trade deadline acquisition? Yeah, for me, I'm going to go with Claude Giroux in Florida because the Panthers have been such a wagon lately. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, they still don't have Aaron Ekblad. Like, I was thinking about that the other day. It's like, oh, yeah, they're basically undefeated in 10 without one of the best defensemen in the league. Yeah. So, you know, being able to overpower the competition and, and, and frankly, be in the right headspace heading into what's going to be a huge playoffs for the Panthers. I mean, this is their time to really strike. This is their time to sort of reclaim the state of Florida, um, you know, from the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are obviously the two-time defending champs. And it's not like one team is way better than the other. Like, the Lightning are still one of the best teams in the league. So taking over a team that's still in their contention. Yeah, pretty significant. Yeah, so, you know, Giroux coming in and just fitting like a glove, I think that was exactly what you wanted if you were Florida. And, you know, he's putting up a ton of points. And things are going great, so I'll give him the nod. Although, yeah, I mean, all three of those players certainly qualify, but I'll go with Giroux. I really like Ricardo Raquel in Pittsburgh because I believe in his first mm-hmm. like twelve games, he was almost a point per game player, and that's what you needed um, the Pittsburgh Penguins to get out of the, of the trade line, especially for a team that now is potentially without their starting goalie until the playoffs. Mm. Which it almost feels like goaltending controversies, whether it be injury related or performance related, every year for Pittsburgh heading into the playoffs. Uh, whether it be Flurry losing his starting role multiple times in a row, or last year Jari just forgetting to play hockey in the playoffs. Uh, this case, Casey DeSmith actually has had a pretty good season. He's been a good backup goalie, mm. and I think that's a good situation. But then you look at it, their scoring and the fact that this is a team that has had a lot of injury issues. They haven't had a full lineup pretty much at any point this season. Bringing a guy like Ricard Raquel to play, uh, and I believe he's going to hit 20 goals for the first time in a while. Like, this is a guy who's just playing really well. And he's been an, uh, an offensive dynamo for this team. And so while, to me, that's not... He may, he has maybe statistically hasn't been as good as some other players. He's still been very good, obviously, mm. but a point per game player. And he's been the the guy that Pittsburgh really needed. It seems like every year we talk about Pittsburgh, are you guys going to get that scoring depth to help? Yeah. Where the top two lines might have a couple of star players, and then you're like, oh, geez. You bring in Raquel, he's been like thriving with anyone he plays with. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, Pittsburgh, they, they always know that they're going to have two of the best centers in the league with Crosby and Malkin. And then it's about filling in the puzzle from there. And it is bizarre how many injuries they have. But, I mean, Raquel, he had been coveted for years now by other teams because he was so solid in in Anaheim. And now the Penguins are reaping the rewards since they got him. 
See, Giroud has... I, I'm still going to go, though, with your answer of Giroud's been the best. And it, I know it's like... The honey points is yeah, he's at 16 points in 13 games, two yeah. goals. Like, he's playing fantastic. And part of that is the system he's in. He's playing on a great team. Uh, and in the cases of some of these other guys, better than those teams. Um, but you, if you're playing well, you're playing well. You don't take that away because you're playing on a team that's as good as the Florida Panthers are playing right now. Sure. So uh, for me, I, I think I got to go with Giroux. I, I do like Raquel, though. I think he's been just fantastic, and it's been a lot of fun to watch. We know what he could do, and he's been in the trade. He was in the trade rumors for a couple of years in a row, it seemed. Mm-hmm. And then now he finally got moved, and he's playing well. So, um, yeah, I, I'd say I like that one for sure. Uh, college free agency has mm-hmm. been a very fun topic. And uh, you, you've obviously had a you, – you went to the press before. You've mm-hmm. tweeted about a lot of signings, and there's also been a couple stories on the website uh, thanks to – Tony Ferrari and Ian Kennedy for kind of doing little breakdowns and some of the lesser known players in some of the cases. Um, but right now, who would you say has won college free agency? Because that's something where it, it, we're not talking like Owen Power. We're not talking about right. we're not talking about the guys who were like duh. Yeah. Um, we're talking about the guys who were legitimate finds, where yeah. they're a, th- a third or fourth year player that's kind of really shown up and, and been this this guy that in college was fantastic and NHL teams were interested. So mm-hmm. who would you say has won college free agency? Yeah, well, I'm going to go with the Boston Bruins here because they made a couple of different signings that I think really helped fill out their prospect pipeline. What, what would Boston know about college hockey? I know, right? Um, but, I mean, yeah, all credit to uh, the Bruins and their uh, scouting staff. You know, I mean, the biggest name off the board went to Colorado in Ben Myers. Mm-hmm. He's already paid dividends for him. He was with the University of Minnesota, you know, Every team in the league was after Ben Myers. So, I mean, good on the Avs for managing to convince him that Mm -hmm. a team that is contending for a cup would be a place that he could find a spot on, both short and long term. Um, But with the Bruins, you know, I look at them and here's an organization that got Brandon Bussey from Western Michigan in net. They got Georgie Merkeloff, the center from Ohio State. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then they also got Mark McLaughlin from Boston College, a great two-way forward. Um, they got him a little earlier in the process because Boston College didn't make the tournament. Um, but McLaughlin's already played really well for the Bruins. He's got some points for them. And, you know, he projects as more of a defensive center, I think, uh, overall in the NHL. But it's always good to get that offense out of the way. Bussy, uh, if I'm not mistaken, was just named AHL Goaltender of the Week with the mm-hmm. Providence Bruins. Yes. And Merkeloff uh, is off to a hot start as well. He's already gotten some points down there in the AHL. And that's an interesting one because he was only a freshman with Ohio State. This is a player uh, who came over from Russia, played in the USHL for Youngstown uh, before he went to Ohio State. And, you know, for... The Bruins to be able to see that talent and say, okay, well, he would fill a need. Because if you think about the Bruins right now in the organization, especially in Providence, there's not a lot of high-end skill. They've got Mm. some great prospects, but especially in Providence, they don't have that guy that can really kind of put a bunch of points on the scoreboard. Now, in the system, you know, you know, you have Fabian Lysel, who's playing with WHL Vancouver this season, and he was their first rounder. Sure, you got great skill there, but Merkelov is a guy that can help you sort of sooner than later, and he can definitely help Providence right now. So good on them for, you know, making a find there, particularly. Uh, I'm not sure how many teams were in on Merkelov. I'm not sure how many teams knew he was going to leave Ohio State, but the Bruins did their homework, and they got the prize. That's the thing about the college hockey. It's a lot of the time where you get guys who 
second, third year, they can return for another year. And it's like, for some teams, that player might be willing to leave. Mm-hmm. But then you get other situations where, like, obviously, no matter what, you're taking a risk as a player, whether you decide to go one more year in college. And what if you don't get those offers next year? What if you just don't play well? Um, if you're a good player, you're not too worried about that. Uh, or if you go to a team where you maybe you weren't ready, but they offered a really good deal, and then you end up just kind of being stuck in the system. Yeah. And we've seen that through the NCAA in the past because a lot of times you are getting guys who were truly late bloomers, guys who were 22, 23 when they started to really figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to give a shout-out to Drew Warad, though, a former Ofo Blades uh, player uh, who signed the Grand Rapids Griffins. I have one of his jerseys. His parents are super nice. Nice. Uh, he was one of the best players when I worked with the team. Uh, and, now, and now it sounds like there's definitely some interest for him next year after a really good uh, NCAA career. But um, it, it's something where – it, it, there, there's so much risk on all these sides, but it's for the teams. It's such a fun time because it's essentially low risk for them, but sure. potentially huge rewards. I mean, they're essentially free draft picks, yeah. right? And um, I, I think expectations are important. And I, I think fans might be sort of catching on uh, more recently where y- you shouldn't be expecting a star. <laughs> Jimmy DC. <Vesey. laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I was actually. Uh, one of my Twitter followers was asking about this. And in, in terms of forwards, probably one of the most successful college free agents of recent time, because there used to be, you used to be able to get like superstars. Like if I'm not mistaken, Adam Ose was a college free agent. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and like Ed Belfour was a college free agent. Mm-hmm. Um, but in more recent times, like Tyler Bozak is probably one of the best forwards yeah. that fits that description. And I'm pretty sure he missed most of one of his college years with a broken leg, which obviously yes. held back his development. But more than likely, you're looking at guys that'll probably be on your third or fourth line. Now, you hope for more. And, you know, Ben Myers is a good example of this where I think best case scenario, he could be a number two center in the NHL because he's got the motor, he's got the size, you know, he's got some skill to him. But for the most part, you're looking at guys that can fit a bottom six role. And again, that's fine because you didn't have to spend a draft pick on them. You didn't have to spend a bunch of time developing them. They, they come to you pretty close to ready you know maybe they do a year in the AHL but you know as long as fans recognize that you're not going to be getting uh you know a superstar top liner then you know it's a it's a great situation for everyone involved it's you're looking for depth here you're not totally and uh, a couple other ones uh, the Carter Savoy going uh, to Bakersfield uh, Mm -hmm. going to Oilers eventually Thomas Borlo's already looked really good with San Jose yeah which I feel like that guy was the most cursed junior hockey player of all time because because of missing two world juniors one because I believe it was it was like roommate got COVID yeah but then I I can't remember was that even like I think it turned out that it was a false positive in the I think you're right I think much later it came out that it wasn't even so it's like he got kind of screwed up and then he got COVID before this year's juniors the cursed world juniors but he he could still play this year so, That's true, um, and, and I don't really know his story, but it's like uh, Elite Prospect says he played in Switzerland, SC Bern. Oh. So, I I, like as a youth team, so that's kind of interesting. I did not know that. Well, story. his father was a pro hockey player. Okay, so, so. That, that probably explains yeah. that. Bern's a really nice place to play hockey. Everyone mm-hmm. has good things to say about that. So, uh, the the one team that really lost, University of Michigan. <laughs> yeah, really, and I think they knew that. And it's yeah. kind of funny too because yeah, Michigan lost like either from. Players signing their pro deals, or players just having to leave, uh, you know, or going, you know, f- for graduation or going through the transfer portal. I think they've probably lost like 14, 15 players already. 
Having said that, they have quite the recruiting class coming in mm-hmm. where you have Adam Fantilli, Rutger McGroarty, Frank Nazar, yeah. uh, Hunter Berstadovich on defense. You know, you've got players coming and you need to have some scholarships available because you did promise them those scholarships. One player we did talk about last week on the Prosper podcast uh, was Dryden McKay, someone who mm-hmm. is like, is he like, statistically his numbers suggest yeah he'd be fantastical at prospect yeah. but really small and now there's the situation of a anti-doping situation going on yeah. with him and it's something that I believe the story is it was like pretty unfortunate it was something that was just mislabeled it, it sounded like it was a tainted yeah. supplement yeah um and it you know it seems like everything was kind of above board and you know he could have had a four-year suspension it was cut down to six months and uh, you know from what i understand they rarely do that but they you know looking into the evidence uh sounds like he had a really good lawyer on this too that you know this was like minimal fault on his part you know like he wasn't intending to break the rules um i i will say the tough thing is like he's gonna miss you know like if he wanted to go to traverse city with a team as a free agent he he won't be available to do that i wouldn't think i'm not sure how much the suspension covers, you know, non-international. Like, I'm not sure what he's allowed to do in the next six mm-hmm. months, but um, unfortunate for him because I know he's obviously going to want to get his pro career started. That sucks because, like, even in Traverse City, it seems like if it was, if it was Traverse City or if it was one of the other prospect tournaments during the States, it's yeah. like he, he would have been there because the teams know that, yeah, he might be a small goalie, but he's got the talent that he could play with these guys. Yeah, let's see what he can do. Why not? Yeah, of course. Every team brings extra goalies to things like that. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, So the draft lottery, the annual draft lottery, I should say, uh, is coming up uh, in a few weeks. I believe in May. Um, Well, it has to be in May. (laughs) The playoffs again. Yes, we don't don't have an official date yet as of now. Um, There's a bunch of teams like Montreal, Seattle, Arizona, a couple others that are really in the, the draft lottery situation here. If you were running one of these teams, which team would you want to be right now? I feel like I would like to be Seattle right now. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, part of it is because Maddie Beneers is off to a great start. Um, I think he had three points last night. Uh, or he's got at least three points in his first couple of games. So that's a great start for him. And you look at him as one of the building blocks of this franchise. First draft pick they ever had. Second overall. You know, is he a number one center? Is he a 1B center? Is he a number two center? You know, you hope that he's a number one center or at least a 1B. But, you know, you head into the draft lottery and it's like, what if you get Shane Wright? Mm -hmm. Then a team that really doesn't have any centers can build off a top six anchored by Shane Wright and Matty Beneers. That's a great start. And then, you know, you look at the contracts. They don't have a lot of like really bad contracts. You know, they have a lot of sort of long-term deals in the kind of 5 million range. Um, but, you know, it's guys that are like Jordan Eberle, Jaden Schwartz, you know, players that you're going to have a lot of use for in the coming years. You know, even if their production slows down a bit, they're going to be great leaders. You know, Jared McCann, his extension kicks in next season. It's a pretty reasonable uh, contract as well. So, you know, you've still got a lot of cap space. You don't have a lot of players to re-sign. You can probably be pretty active this summer. And, you know, hopefully you build off of this initial year, which was like, you know, not great, obviously. But I think there's enough flexibility there and there's enough hope already that it's kind of a fun situation. So what if you get Shane Wright this year? And let's say you get first overall next year. 
<laughs> or, or you get another high pick and you got the option of potentially getting Connor Bernard and then you got like the greatest middleman of all time and yeah. it's like man this team's never going to lose a face off and it's going to score a thousand goals right. but I do agree yeah, for Seattle like like if I'm picking who I'd want to be specifically on day one of the draft it's the Montreal Canadiens because it's in Montreal totally and if you get the first overall pick it's awesome and I know a lot of people have been talking uh, in Montreal Canadiens online circles it's like okay well if we don't get first overall who, who do we want and a lot mm. of people said Slavkovsky mm. uh, and it's sort of like Logan Cooley because they want someone who can compliment um next suzuki and cole caulfield mm. well that's well that's great in theory um if you're trying to build for the hey here's our top line now let's add to it type thing that's not necessarily going to work mm. uh but the, it really depends on how the canadians view who the best player available is but yeah i do agree with seattle and it's one where like when you have a lot of draft picks it's like you you might be tempted to trade a few of them to kind of uh, to get some other players there but looking at it you got one first round pick four second round picks. Mm. I don't want to trade any of those. I just want to just keep building. Well, I mean, that's smart too because if you're the Kraken, you only have one draft yeah. in your... You don't have a lot of prospects. Yeah, you don't have a lot of prospects. <laughs> you know, you don't really have enough to even like, you know, I used to team like at a tournament unless you brought in a ton of free agents. So yeah, I think that's the rare... Uh, situation where instead of packaging and you know moving up or you know trading for uh actual players you, you might want to use all those picks mm -hmm. and and really stock up that cupboard look towards the future yeah and if they want to trade picks they have another three second round picks next year right <laughs> they've got a lot of draft picks that they can trade if they really need to so uh this time i'm saying no keep them um and just build the best prospect base you can get and yeah this is to me, this is exactly how Seattle season should have gone. And mm. it's trying to replicate what Vegas did is a tough thing. And now, as we'll talk about later, Vegas is starting to see, uh-oh, this might end soon. This yeah. might, this rush is, is coming to a close soon. Um, so Seattle, they they got to take the long game. And I think that that's awesome. Um, so for me, I, I think this, yeah, Seattle is the team to go. Arizona is the one where it's kind of like, it's tough because you, there's still so much you gotta really build upon, and you've yeah. been in this rebuild for a long time and don't have anything to show for. Mm. But then Seattle is like, it's a fresh slate. And yeah. last year was a bit of a hard one because obviously most of these guys, a lot of these guys did not play a proper season last year. Mm. Um, so it almost felt like a, a kind of not the greatest way to start. They got a great player in many years, yeah. but didn't start maybe the way that you'd want because of how weird of a year it was. But now you've got, a, in a lot of these cases, a lot more to go off of these players. Everyone's played a full season. You've got a lot of draft picks. This is going to be a fun time to be this, a Seattle Kraken player, coach. Well, maybe not a player if you get traded, but uh, <laughs> right. if you're going to be part of this team in the future and you've got Jordan Eberle signed till 2024, or you've got Jane Schwartz signed till 2026, and Yanni Gord till 2025, you got these guys who you want to be part of the thing. Yeah. But you're going to need these prospects to show up too. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And you, yeah, you, you've got those veterans, you know, a, a couple of whom have Stanley Cup rings, and that's always great. And then you bring in that young crew and you build upon that. And I think that is sort of the the long-term plan for the Kraken. And, you know, next year they're probably not going to be great either, but that's okay. Carolina Hurricanes. So speaking of uh, teams that Ron Francis has been affiliated with, um, the Carolina Hurricanes have struggled. They're 4-5-1 in the past 10. Freddie Anderson's hurt. And it seems like, man, injury seems to, to plague this guy. Whenever, mm -hmm. he, whenever things are getting good, he – yeah. things start to fall apart for him. It's kind of a, such a disappointing situation. When you're looking at that, though, should we be worried about the Carolina Hurricanes, a team that a lot of people expected for the last couple of years to be a true contender, and for sure this year, uh, but it's been a bit of a rocky road to us a little bit. 
Yeah, I'm I'm kind of torn on this one, and you know, I mean, which is funny because it was my question. Um, I, I'm worried about Anderson because you know it's a lower body injury. You know, a lot of people speculating it was when he was trying to make a save. So you know, is that a groin? Is it you know some kind of like hip flexor? Who knows? Um, and it sounds like they're hoping to have him back for the playoffs. And they do have Auntie Ranta, who played very well last night. Um, he's very hit or miss, though. That's he is very thing. hit or miss. Um, Lots of hits. That's the thing. Yeah, but they do have a great team in front of him. If the playoffs were to start today, Carolina would play Boston. And when I first heard that, I was like, ugh, that's tough. Bruins in the playoffs. On the other hand, those teams have played three times this year. Boston has scored one goal. Okay. Carolina's wiped out the Bruins this year. So matchup-wise, maybe that's okay for the Canes. And then, you know, you get guys back healthy. Because I think they've got some other players banged up as well right now on top of Anderson. You know, the key is to make sure you're as healthy as possible uh, when you get to the playoffs. Because you know it's going to be a war of attrition. And you want to go deep. So, you, you know, you're planning on this team going for almost two months. Um, so, I mean, I'm a little concerned right now and, you know, the Rangers could certainly pass them, mm-hmm. uh, for first in that division. And then you get into different matchups and you can sort of figure that out along the way. But I, I think the, the important thing for Carolina is to just get back on track as the season ends to put together a few more wins because you don't want to be cold going into the playoffs. You never know what can happen if you run into a, a hot team mm. coming into the playoffs. And, you know, I mean, the Bruins aren't hot right now either, so that kind of helps them. But, you know, if you play somebody else, you never know. The matchups can certainly change in the next week or two. So I'm kind of worried, but at the same time, it's like Carolina's really talented. Uh, I think they could probably paper over a lot of adversity, at least in the early going. Adversity is not a bad thing. Adversity when your starting goalies hurt kind of sucks because it's True. like it's not it's not like everyone can kind of figure it out again. It's kind of like yeah. you are losing one of your key players, a guy that if it wasn't for Shesterkin might have been the Vesna can like Vesna winner this year. He's had uh-huh. a fantastic season, and I like Antti Rana. He's been a favorite goalie of mine for a long time. Um, but if he gets hurt, <laughs> then you're in trouble. And what's his problem in his career? He gets hurt a lot. Mm. So. You have two goalies that get hurt a lot. That's not good. But let's say Freddie Anderson's ready. I don't exactly know when his return is. Um, well, they're hoping for the beginning of the yeah, playoffs. Which yeah, which is then that could be fine. But, could be. But at the same time, he like they were losing some games with him. It's not like they just yeah. immediately fell off when he got hurt. Yeah. Um. So to, I'm still not that worried about it. Like you look at the team, you look at the defense. Like that's a good group there. That's mm. the the adversities not coming in an ideal time. But you're they're going to learn from it. I think. And it's it's. Four five one is not a good record by their standards, but it's not like they've haven't been winning. <laughs> yeah, still winning yeah, some yeah. games from time to time. They're just not at the dominant stretch. So, um, I, I still think, yeah, even though we're talking about like the playoffs beginning soon, I'm still not worried. I still think there's enough time for them to kind of back up or catch up here. Yeah. And yeah, the Boston Bruins are a tough team to play where. Uh, their director might not be in the playoffs, but then they'll go out there and in the regular season against uh, Carolina. But then they come in the playoffs, and anything can happen. Very it's true. All different. And people will say, "Well, this is a, a Bruins team that knows how to win." But it has been a while since they won the Stanley Cup with this core. Yeah, they, they won the Cup final a couple years ago, but this team's not the same as it was. They've they've kind of fallen off. Their starting goalie has retired in the past couple of, well, this year, but since then, um, for me though, I, I still think the Hurricanes are are one of my favorites. To, they. It, 
they could be in the conference final. Um, they've sure. got a good case. Tampa Bay, Florida, obviously really good. Toronto, I can't ever count them. Well, sorry, I say that. I can't <laughs> the least. Wait a minute. Um, but uh, I, I still like what Carolina has. I think that this team is too talented to let this just fall apart. Mm-hmm. Maybe it takes a bit of a reset, whatever, but I, I still think that there's enough time for them to come back from it. And sure. when they're starting goalies back and you're at full force, because they do have a few other injuries this year, and obviously like Jake Gardner hasn't played yet at all, but uh, Jordan Stahl and Kokanemi, day to day. Yeah. So you'll get those guys back, and that should help. That will help the depth on that team. So uh, speaking of the Boston Bruins, uh, we've talked about a few awards, um, yeah. Harden Norris, um, but the Patrice Bergeron Award. I mean, the, the yes, um, <laughs> that, that's an award where it's maybe not one of the, the sexier awards because it's a defensive forward award. It's, like mm. it's not the most exciting one, but um, it's something where it really shows how valuable a player could be. And Bergeron's been so good at it for so long because yeah. – that, like, that's why we never. it seems like we're never talking about Bergeron being one of the best players in the world or even sometimes the best player in his own line when you got Pasternak and, and uh, Marshawn. Yeah. But it's like, but he played a different game from them. Yeah. Pasternak's a goal scorer. Marshawn does kind of everything. Bergeron is the most reliable guy like at all times. Yeah. And uh, I believe his penalty kill stats kind of fell a bit in the last month. But statistically, like this is a guy that just does everything for the team defensively that it's hard to take the award from him. But if you had to choose the winner for that right now, who would you pick? Yeah, and it's funny because, you know, in, in recent years, we've had Alexander Barkov, mm-hmm. uh, you know, enter the conversation and be a Selkie favorite as well. And it's kind of funny how the Selkie trophy – it really feels like it's kind of limited to a couple of guys. It's a and, reputation award to a point. And it's been that way for years yeah. where it's like you kind of had to, you know, for a while it was like you had to be either Bergeron or Kopitar to get it. Now Barkov's in the mix as well where he can win it as well. But I'm, I'm going to go with Bergeron because, I mean, his stats are just bonkers. Mm-hmm. Like he's only been on the ice for 24 five-on-five goals against the entire season. Mm-hmm. That's just wild. He's the best Corsi of any forward in the NHL that has played like a regular amount of games, you know, like more than 50, for example. And he's the best high danger Corsi mm-hmm. percentage of any forward in the league as well. So when he's on the ice, good things happen for the Bruins. And I mean, yeah, yes, he has the reputation, but he definitely has the stats this year. So I'm I'm going to go with uh, Bergeron. It's funny because it does seem like it's the reputation of this award has been, oh, it's, it's Bergeron's award to win. But he hasn't won it since 2017. Yeah. It's been Barkov last year, Couturier the year before, O'Reilly, Kopitar, then Bergeron. Yeah. Uh, but then Bergeron also won multiple years in a row. They won, he won for the in like a six-year span. So mm. he did really well. But here's to come up pull other guys that have won this award. Uh, you look at Datsuk, he won a bunch. Yeah. Uh, Rod Brendamore, uh, Jonathan Tate. It's like, it's a, you got to be a really darn good player to win this award. For like, sure. Like, obviously, to win any award, yeah. But there was a point where, um, you know, Michael Pecco won the award a couple of times. And Chris Draper. And maybe Ryan Kessler. It's like, maybe not these star players. But now it's like, you got to be like, like, nearly a Hall of Fame quality player at this point to be winning this award. Um, So it's a tough one to win. But Bergeron's stats say, like, yeah, this is is the guy for it. Yeah. And he's playing on a Boston team where – well, well, the the, the depth is different than it's been in recent years. It's still largely – relying on that top line mm-hmm. and when you got those other two guys doing what they could do and then he's out there being this super slick defensive forward that just is so good every single year and and why his name always shows up where if he's not winning he's a finalist yeah. it, to me i think bergeron's your choice yeah and it's funny i think the selkie has become a lot more prominent lately because of the analytics revolution mm-hmm. where you know for us lay people that aren't very good at math and that's why we write 
you know, we can, you can have it put out in front of you and be like, look, when he's on the ice, this is what happens. You know, Boston has most of the scoring chances. You know, this is what he is suppressing, mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of uh, when he's on the ice versus when he's not on the ice. This is how many goals they're scoring versus they're giving up five on five. Um, it's just a great tool. And I think because, you know, a lot more fans know about analytics, it's more easily translatable. Because when you say best defensive forward, it's it's kind of an amorphous concept. It's not like the Hart Trophy where it's like, who's the best player? Or the Norris, who's the best defenseman? And, you know, I mean, there's different interpretations of that. But defensive forward, I think, you know, now it's not just guy who scores a bunch of points that also kills penalties. It's mm-hmm. like there's a lot more sort of evidence that you can dig through and make judgments based on that. To me, it's always been one of the most boring boring awards, but it's one that really kind of shows, again, the, the deeper value of both analytics, but just yeah. what a player could do outside of the score sheet. Yeah, for sure. So, because a lot of the analytics has nothing to do with the final score, but it, it shows you like the like shot suppression and, and the scoring chains. Like, that stuff's important. Yeah. And Bergeron's the best at it. He's the man. So, uh, and then Barkov obviously is one of the best there too. And uh, so... It's it's something where yeah in recent years I think there's a lot of people talking about this award more. It's it's not the Norris Trophy, it's not the the Hart Trophy, but it's an important trophy. That's right, and it is a trophy. I hate the NHL awards, and people get really worked up about who wins specific awards. It's like if you're not winning the award, do you care? It's I don't watch award shows, but uh, except for the NHL awards, but <laughs> I just hate awards. People when when people slap each other, it's way more fun. Um, <laughs> Uh, so we've talked about the Vegas Golden Knights a bunch uh, yeah. on this uh, podcast the last couple of weeks, and it seems like every time they fall further down in the standings. And this is one where uh, I believe might be the first time they're outside of a wild card spot since we've talked. They've been kind of in and out, mm. but this time they're they're three points out behind Los Angeles in their own division, yeah. and they're they're four points behind uh, Dallas and Nashville in the wild card race. This is something where Vegas realistically could miss the playoffs. Yeah, and. A lot of people expect them to kind of come away from the Pacific looking number one. If it wasn't them, it was going to be Edmonton. Yeah. And, then, and then in the end, it was the Calgary Flames. Right. That kind of been the star team. When you are looking at this Vegas Golden Knights team, if they miss the playoffs, what next? Because that's one where last year they should have made that final. They should have not right. lost the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, that's a big blow. You beat the Colorado Avalanche to get there. And then you'll lose to the Montreal Canadiens, really? Uh, and then... This year has been a rough year, and, and, and they they struggled to keep a healthy team. They didn't get one of their star players in Eichel till like halfway through the year. Stones yeah. had problems, and just recently, and and again for the longest time, Chandler Stevenson was the top scorer on the team. Um, but this is something where with the talent you can't miss the playoffs. Yeah, and unfortunately they might. And you know, losing to New Jersey uh, last night, I mean, that was really tough. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, I mean the Devils, I. We've seen them as a scrappy team. And, you know, I was actually in New Jersey to, to do the, the Future Watch cover story. And they beat Colorado that night. They were down 3 nothing. They came back. They ended up winning 5-3. So, I mean, the Devils do have it in them. But if you're Vegas, like, you have to win that game. Like, you cannot drop any points right now. Mm-hmm. And, unfortunately, that's what happened. And, you know, I, I think if they miss, then the decision-making gets a little tougher because you know heading into the summer you're going to have to lose some guys. And you've got the big contracts like Eichel and Mark Stone. And, you know, when those guys are playing together and they're both healthy, 
I mean, you should have a pretty good team. And, you know, Robin Lehner's been hurt as well. You're starting goaltender. So that hasn't helped the situation. But there are cap considerations when all those guys are actually healthy. So, you know, I think this summer it's going to be really tough for GM Kelly McCrimmon because certain guys you just know are going to have to go. Like Riley Smith, like you're just not going to be able to re-sign him. It's just you don't have the money. And you're probably going to have to lose some guys – uh, you'll have to trade them away. Now it becomes a question of how deep do you have to cut? Do you try to trade Evgeny Dadanov again? You know, in this time, legally this time, <laughs> legally this time. You know, do you have to see if Max Pacioretty is willing to waive? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his, his no trade clause or no move clause um, simply because you know he makes seven million dollars a year and you need space for other guys. I think a big thing for Vegas is on top of clearing guys out, you have to give ample opportunity for at least a couple of young guys to make the roster, not just for the development point of view, but also just because they're on entry-level deals. So Pavel Dorofiev, I think, is a player that you need to give a long look. Brendan Brisson, who's already off to a great start in the AHL with Henderson, that's the type of player you need in the lineup because not only is he talented, but right now he's cheap. Yes. So that's the big question for the Golden Knights this summer is how deep do you need to cut in order to be competitive? And if you make the playoffs, I guess the arithmetic changes a little bit because you say, okay, well, we're still a good team. We're still a playoff team. Um, maybe we can squeak by and you know we'll do the minimal cuts for salary that we have to. If you miss the playoffs, I think you take a bigger step back and say, okay, we need to make sure that this lineup is a little more balanced in terms of where we're spending our money because we already have some big ticket guys. We can't have too many big ticket guys because then you get into the problem where if you get an injury at the wrong time, you're in trouble. So uh, looking at future watch here, how many just going off the top of your head, how many prospects made the top 100 list? For them, I would say... I mean, it might only be two or three. I don't know if Jack Dugan was in the mix there. Just one, eh? Brisson. Brisson. Because they, they traded Peyton Krebs. Yeah, so they're number 25 in the rankings. Mm. Uh, however, on the page spread, they're beside Vancouver, which is number 26. So they do beat them. There you go. Uh, but um, they, that's a kind of a worrying issue. But the mm. thing that we knew when they started building that team for that first run, it's like, okay, they're trying to win the cup immediately. Yeah. Like they're trying to, to, sh- to build this base and not just be this running fad. Okay, we have a team. It's only going to be like just people going on vacation to this thing. No, like they got to dedicate a fan base. Totally. And they built it because they were competitive and they've only ever been competitive. Yeah. Now they do run the thing of, okay, well, we don't have a good prospect base. We are in a cap situation where this is tough. Uh, our starting goalie, Robin Leonard, hasn't been that good. Mm. Statistically, Logan Thompson's been better in, in fewer games for sure, but Logan Thompson's also not a number one quality goalie, I would say. So you got to think about your goalie situation. And we have zero guys in the zero goalies in the top uh, 10 prospects from Vegas. So yeah. they got to worry about that. And, and, and Leonard is 30. So we aren't expecting a huge increase in performance. Yeah. And in the last couple, last two years, have been hit or miss. Um, so they've got a lot of issues with this team where it's going to take a while. If they So, so it's almost like they still got to figure out a way to win. When they're healthy, though, let's say they bring their their best possible lineup, do you, and they make the playoffs. Do you like what they're able to do? 
You know, I mean, it's impossible to say because we haven't seen the whole yeah. healthy lineup together. But, I mean, on paper, at least, that's, if you have Jack yeah. Eichel and Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty and Shane Theodore, like, yeah, that's a hot lineup. Um, it's just a matter of can they can they get them all together? Like, can they all get them healthy at the same time? Yeah. And this is a team that's been very good at making, like, stars out of guys who otherwise wouldn't. Like, Chandler Stevenson, how many... 60-point seasons do you think he's going to have? Yeah. Does he have a 60-point season anywhere else? Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's, yeah, like, William Carlson, you kind of want to see a bit more out of him. 31 mm-hmm. points in 62 games after such an impressive start. But yeah. uh, and then you look at the, one of the guys that trade away, Alex Tuck's been fantastic. Yeah. And, and Buffalo and Payne Krebs also there. But uh, I, I still hold on to the fact that if they get to the playoffs, anything can happen, and they've got the talent. And they can, if they can make the cap situation work, perfect, good. Let's yeah. go. But – it is something where like they're running out of time it's true. very quickly. Yeah. Like this is like you you really got to make something happen. You got to make the playoffs, and every game is a must win at this point. You can't drop any points. That's a scary situation to be in if you are the Vegas Golden Knights, a team that again hasn't struggled. Like like the fan base has been fantastic, but what happens if they spend the next six seven years not performing well? And yeah. then it's like the it's it's one thing to get the fans super excited if they got these incredible pregame shows and, and an incredible atmosphere, mm. but are people going to be still excited to go if they're charging high ticket prices and they're twenty sixth in the standings? Yeah, I can't imagine like at this point they're going to be bad for too long just because you have those high end elements on the team uh, that can really you know make up for a lot of other flaws in the in the roster. Um, you know, if they miss the playoffs this year, I could certainly see them making it the next year. I don't think they're a team that's going to have to go through a full rebuild just because they, they still have key pieces. There. They still have so many good key pieces. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't be worried about them too much. It's almost like you really want them to have one bad season, like really bad season to just get those key prospects you mm. need. But it's like at the same time, when you look like the word rebuild often looks at a, and they're not a rebuild situation, but at some point they might have to in the near future uh you look at la and, and to a, a point also the colorado avalanche are two teams that have really kind of had very short rebuilds and yeah. really took it and, and in the case of colorado they already had guys like landis cog and ranton and, and, and mckinnon, McKinnon. Yeah. so make that base a lot easier to grow from you're not doing a full rebuild where you're yeah. starting from scratch or your best players are like 22 like you are you've still got a good key core mm. but it, it it's something where you've got to think about the long term future and the cap situation is not going to go away easily. No, it will not. Not a fun situation to be if you're the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah. All right, uh, that's it from the serious hockey talk. Viewer mm. questions: A few of these are real. Like, there's a real animal theme for this one. All right, dogs are the best. You're wrong. Cats are way better. <laughs> um, uh, as I explained before, I had my phone screen destroyed because a dog thought it was dog food right. weeks ago. Wasn't my dog. Um, greatest goalie mask of all time. Yeah, okay, so I'm going to go with, I, I got two here. I'm going to go old school and then more modern. Best old school mask, Gary the Cobra Simmons. Okay, that, that's my favorite old school. It's yeah, because so cool. yeah, it's got a snake on the front. And uh, I had, I've had the chance to interview him a couple of times for different special issues we've done. Fantastic guy, great stories. Mm-hmm. My favorite being, I think he was playing for Cleveland or maybe it was might have been the Golden Seals in California. He was saying that his superstition was if he lost a game, he would take a different route from his house to the rink the next day. Okay. His problem was he ran out of routes at one point. <laughs> he was like, there's only so many roads that go from my house to the rink. Uh, so, yeah, great guy, fantastic mask. And then in the sort of more modern, uh, I'm going to go with Ed Belfour. Ironically, the second Ed Belfour reference uh, this <laughs> episode. Choice. Yeah, 
But because it was the iconic yeah. Eagles on the sides of his helmet, no matter who he played for, uh, it's like you instantly knew that was Ed Belfour's mask. And uh, so, yeah, I, I know that, you know, the, uh, the airbrushing techniques have been huge and mm-hmm. you know they've, they've been so much better nowadays but when i think of iconic masks belfour is one that comes to mind so i'm a huge goalie guy and one of my favorite issues of the hockey magazine was the the goalie mask issue yeah and there was a whole thing on how they would make those old like fiberglass masks that the goalies used to wear which um i still think look so cool despite them like some of the designs being so basic and part mm. of it is that the painting has gone unbelievably nuts in the last couple of years yeah. and um, I was talking to, there'll be a story I'm talking to soon to a uh, NASCAR driver, Ryan Ellis. Great name. Uh, he's a mm-hmm. huge hockey fan. But uh, he had an Anaheim Ducks helmet paid for by Adam Henrique, where mm-hmm. the whole thing was Ducks themed. And like his helmet happens to be designed by the same guy who does Craig Anderson's helmet. So there's a lot of overlap. And uh, it sounds like they might be trying to do an endurance race together. That'd be uh-huh. kind of cool. But um, the, uh, the, the, the goalie mask designs have come crazy. Which is funny because one of my all-time favorite goalie helmets was Martin Gerber's plain black mask, <laughs> which also then was followed by Jonas Taylor's plain black mask, the matte black one with mm. the gold cage, which I thought was cool. Um, where I where my Goker helmet was plain black, which I had a custom design. It switched to a black helmet because I thought it. I just I don't know why it just seemed cool. Mm. I felt mysterious. It, that's me being like ten and thinking that's really cool. <laughs> um, but for me, my favorite goalie mask all time is Carter Hart's Carnage mask. Mm. It's because. And it's funny because at first I was thinking Stephen Valakett's uh, Spider-Man mask. That's a good one too. And I, I, I love the Spider-Man theme and a carnage mask was something I always wanted myself. So when uh, when Hart brought it out, I thought it was great, but then he only had it for a short period of time. Uh, and I think it was uh, Matej Tomek, I believe, over in the Slovakian goalie who has a Venom mask right now. Which yeah. Is cool. Um, so th- there's some kind of cool ones there. So I love the Spider-Man theme. I do love the, the Cobra mask, obviously. Um, my very first helmet I really thought was cool, but I can never explain really what it was, was Jose Theodore's mask um, for basically a few years in Montreal. Because that was back in the days when goalies would keep their masks for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Like, Kerry Price and, and, and Rask have kind of done that in recent years, but for the most part, goalies change their masks often. Yeah. And sometimes multiple times in a season, or in some cases, multiple times like like one for home, one for away, and one for a third jersey, and it's like that's you just don't remember the masks. Then. Right. Peter Mrazek's got like a chrome mask, which is pretty cool because when it's in the press box, it shines. It's pretty cool actually. Mm. Um, however, he's hurt all the time; you never get to see it. But uh, yeah, I, for me, I'm gonna go with the, the Carter Hart one because I just I love, even I wish it was red, but I get making it orange. Yeah, it's totally. the Flyers. But I I just like when you do something kind of like that. It's cool, and it's like it's the integrated well of gritty, integrated well of the the. Flyers logo and colors, so Boom. it works. Uh, next question comes from Hamster Two. What's a reverse? Because the reverse retros are expected to come back next year. Yeah. What's a reverse retro style that needs to return? Okay, so this one, I I don't know if it's too old to qualify, but I think that they should do a Boston Bruins reverse retro back when they had the big football numbers on the front. Okay. Yeah. That was like, I think that was like Milt Schmidt era Bruins. And I just think it was so unique. Uh, And people would be like, ah, that's not hockey. Uh, But that's the fun of it. It's like, you know, it's a one-off, right? And if they're the only team doing it, then that's cool. But yeah, big football style numbers on the front. Uh, And, you know, the Bruins, they have some really nice colors that they can work with. I'd like to see a reverse retro of that. For me, I want to say the Buffalo Sabres goat head um, because I love that jersey. And I know it doesn't match anything the Sabres have ever done. Like, even when they went to the um, 
to the Buffa Slug, which I always look for when I go to a Sabres game, <laughs> um, like to see who has one. I have one myself. Bought it for ten bucks. Nice. Um, I. I, I just thought the jersey colors worked. And I know there was a whole thing of like too many black jerseys and hockey, but I love yeah. black jerseys. They're awesome. Like some of my favorite jerseys in my collection, um, the the rhinos, the, the El Paso yeah, rhinos. rhinos, the, the black one there. I got uh, Milton Menace black jersey, which the jerseys were almost the same exact look actually. Uh, so I got all these like black jerseys. I love them. They're awesome. Uh, but that is expected return. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a cheap answer. I'm going to go with the Atlanta Thrashers blue jersey. Oh yeah. Jets because the Winnipeg Jets have never really acknowledged Atlanta's existence, and I get it. Like they, mm. they already had their own history. Yeah. It's a different team, though, of course. But which made Arizona's throwbacks a little more complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like it'd be kind of cool for them to just kind of acknowledge them once, because like Calgary Flames, like they just recently acknowledged the Atlanta Thrashers, Atlanta, Atlanta Flames, Flames yeah. in a in a pregame thing. But the the Jets have never done that for the Thrashers. And again, mm. again, it's a different group, different everything. But I still think that those were cool jerseys. And it's like we, we've seen them trying to do reverse retros. or like, The reverse retro kind of was boring. And like they've done other designs that like throwbacks that haven't been great. Yeah. Do Monkey was the Thrashers. Yeah, mm. the, this fan base has no connection to it. But they had some sick jerseys and a great name. <laughs> the Thrashers is an awesome name. Definitely divisive. Uh, and w- would you have Winnipeg written down the one arm? I would, yeah. Yeah. yeah that would be kind of neat. Just just. Yeah, yeah. Like just just you're acknowledging the roots. It's yeah, like fair. Why not? I, and, and yeah, the Thrashers were a team that didn't succeed in anything. But mm. uh, and, and their jerseys, some people hate them, some people love them. I have a Andre DeVoe game worn exhibition jersey in my room, um, the very cheap jersey. Uh, <laughs> but I believe it was the only one he ever wore. Um, it, it, to me, I think like you can just do some cool stuff with it. And, sure. and, and like the don't have to bring the logo, just bring the blue design. I thought that was cool. And it's not like Winnipeg doesn't. Use blue jerseys. That's true. <laughs> like it literally matches their jerseys. They did a baby blue color, like their third jersey. They blue. did, yeah. So it's like, okay, you guys have already done this. Yeah. Let, let's try to just like acknowledge them for a bit. It'd be cool. I like, get the Thrasher's logo on like the shoulder or something. Uh huh. And it's just like, they were they were the the last relocated team. So fair. Kind of cool. So, yeah. That's it for the questions. It's rapid fire time. All right, rapid fire time. I am your rapid fire host. I gotta whip my phone out here. Where did I put my phone? There was here a couple. There was a couple rapid fire questions I meant to ask last week that I'll save for next week that I've actually had listed as ones I want to ask, f- basically for the last few weeks and just forget. <laughs> so sometimes I forget this uh, at the last minute too. I actually have one today that I meant to ask last time. Yeah. Okay, first question, and ironically sticking on the topic of jerseys. What's the next jersey you want to buy for yourself? Oh, uh, I know you have a lot. I really would love a Team Canada Spengler jersey, oh. um, but I also love their black Team Canada jersey. And I've always wanted a Montreal Canadiens reverse retro, but if I had to pick one right now, mm. uh, I would say Canada Spengler Cup jersey. Nice. For me, it would be Minnesota State's purple jersey yep. uh, with the gold Minnesota State okay. uh, lettering on it. It's just beautiful. They did not wear it at the Frozen Four, I think, because they were the higher seed. And is that why they lost? I don't know. I'm just saying. I've, I've, in all my sim racing stuff, I've switched all my cars to purple and yellow. It's such a good combination. Purple is such an underutilized color. It really is. So. Yeah, it's true. Okay, next one. What's a good song by a bad band? It's a tragically hip song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd say uh, Lonely Under the Rink. I, I liked that song. Oh, man. Um, do you like U2? Depends on the era. There's nothing really good from them, but it's like, I always like In the Name of Love, but I don't really like the band. 
That's fair. Uh, yeah. But they're not, yeah, no, I'm going to go with Tragic for that one. Okay. I'm going to go with uh, the band Sugar Ray. <laughs> Uh, they got big on that song, yeah. Fly. But before that, they had another single called Mean Machine, which was actually like a, like a, like a hard rock mm-hmm. song with a great breakdown chorus. You would never know it was Sugar Ray, really. But it's actually a pretty good song. Uh, I was going to say, well, maybe one more. I hated Nirvana. Really? I, I, I just can never get into them. Wow. I, I felt, but uh, the song for Batman is actually not that bad. <laughs> Fair, yes. Okay. Marshawn Marshan Lynch and Macklemore have just bought ownership stakes in the Seattle Kraken. Mm-hmm. Who do you like better, Marshawn Lynch or Macklemore? <laughs> well, I didn't watch. Uh, I'm not a football guy, um, and Macklemore sucks. Uh, I'm good. Marshawn Lynch just seems cool. Like it just seems True. like he's like if I just spend more time with, like he literally has a video of him doing like go donuts and Zamboni. I feel like he'd yes. be more fun. Right. Yeah, I don't really know Macklemore's music, uh, but Marshawn Lynch uh, definitely seems like a great guy. And he was on that uh, Netflix show with Will Ferrell where they improvise mm-hmm. like a murder mystery, and he was hilarious. Yeah, he, he seems like he's fun. So yes. he'd be the guy. Yeah. Mar- like, like Macklemore's just a guy Fair. that everyone will forget. Yeah. Okay. Best family road trip you went on as a kid? Ooh. Okay. Uh, I'd say... The best one, we went out East Coast, a bunch of the Eastern provinces. I was pretty young, but that was my first time uh, being a hockey fan and getting to watch a game that I actually had interest in, and that was the Canada-USA um, uh, World Cup of Hockey game. Oh. And we were sitting beside some people who were Americans, and we kept trash-talking them. Like, oh, Canada's going to win. Canada did win. They wore those yellow um, uh, jerseys they only wore that one time, which oh, yeah. I thought was so cool. Um, but... It was fun because there was a tornado in the area, <laughs> but it was our first time camping in a trailer, and it was terrifying. <laughs> but uh, we made it through, and it was pretty fun. And that, that's one where I just East Coast in Canada is beautiful. I we, one place we didn't go to was Newfoundland, mm. and might be a chance for me to do that this summer there through racing. Go. Newfoundland's great. Yeah, I've been to St. John's; it's awesome. Uh, for me, uh, one summer we went, we drove down to Myrtle Beach. Mm-hmm. Uh, but our cousins came as well. So it's like between me and my brother, and then we have three cousins, also all boys, and there's only about like probably six, seven years separating all of us. So it's like we could, like we went down to the arcade, and that's when we beat the X-Men arcade game, (laughs) all five of us. Uh, But it was like that's yeah, that like awesome road trip where it's like you put your pillow in the car and you play the license plate game. And, you know, it's probably I mean, it's a couple of days to get down to Myrtle Beach. But that was like we did a lot of great road trips when I was a kid to the U.S. And that Myrtle Beach one, I think, was like probably at the top. I will say, though, the one thing that um, in later road trips, we we had like DVD players in our car. But we um, luxury. Yeah. Early 2000s. Yeah. Um, But then there was a night at the museum we put in there. But we never took it out. And I think my brother and I probably watched that movie 200 times to the point where I could still probably, like, I, the movie wasn't that good. It was, it was solid, fine. I guess. It was fine. It's yeah. just nothing that I would watch today. Yeah. But I, I could probably say every line still. Right on, right on. Okay. Last night I watched The Batman. Uh, rank Paul Dano's Riddler amongst the pantheon of Batman movie villain performances. You don't have to give an actual number, but in terms of tiers, how high does he rank? Well, for me, he's number two behind the, the mm-hmm. Joker from Dark Knight. But the Riddler was like really like the more you look into it, that's like a really like 
the Zodiac Killer. Like that's kind of his yeah, thing where he kind yeah. of like enciphers and stuff. And yeah. it's like, that was interesting. It's like, yeah. I, I thought that was such a cool character. Yes. Uh, I agree. I think he's top tier. I think he gets up there with Heath Ledger as the Joker. Uh, Bane, Tom Hardy was another great character. And then even like the original Jack Nicholson as Joker, totally different vibe for the Batman movies, but he was really good in that role. And uh, I have a thing where Paul Dano is one of those actors where no matter what he's in, it's a good movie. Mm. Like he just makes awesome choices. And like Zazie Beetz and Lakeith mm. Stanfield, I would say they're in that category as well, where it's like if they're in a movie, I'm like, okay, it's going to be a good movie. Paul Dano definitely qualifies for that. And so, yeah, top tier for me. How many times is there a superhero movie where the bad guy doesn't like fight at any point? That's a great question. I think like Scarecrow didn't really fight in the Dark Knight movies. Yeah. Okay. No, no. I mean, he sprayed a couple of guys in the face, but in terms of hand-to-hand combat, yeah, you're right. It's like you like you wouldn't get that in Spider-Man. Like part of the like, Batman's a smart guy. So is Spider-Man, but Spider-Man part of it is fighting people. And, it's and, true. And Batman fought a lot of people in that movie, Indeed. but he didn't fight the literally the main guy. Good call. Final question: uh, Who are you most excited to see? on Canada's World Under-18 team. Roster just came out yesterday. A lot of fun names, not only for the 2022 draft, but 2023 as well. And actually, at least one 2024 in Tanner Howe. So I'm going to go with, uh, this is a cheap answer, I'm going to go with Fatim Fantilli, but it's because we haven't had a chance to really compare him directly to Connor Bedard. Mm. And this would be a good chance to see how they both perform. Because you look mm. at Bedard, well, he's played on teams with Shane Wright before, yep. but he hasn't played with Fantilli in a kind of a meaningful sense. So this is kind of a cool opportunity where I really want to see what he can do uh, on that group. It's a good, it's an interesting Canadian team. It always is in this tournament where it's not yeah. the best group, but it's always... You, you get some nice star players. Yeah, definitely a lot of high-end elements. For me, it's Matthew Wood from BCHL Victoria, okay. a player for the 2023 draft who was dominant this year in the BCHL. And I'm intrigued because, you know, I want to see what he can do against players uh, from different leagues and what he can do on a team, uh, you know, filled with guys from either the OHL or the USHL and the dub because there's no Quebec League players this year. Uh, once again but yeah I kind of want to see what he can do it's like how good is Matthew Wood you know he put up great numbers he looked great in the BCHL what can he do on the international stage I think that's pretty intriguing this is a a tournament where it's like it's kind of just crept up on us Mm -hmm. and like you know the the playoffs in the CHL are just beginning this weekend and it's like I'm I'm looking forward this is gonna be so much fun And, and the best part is do you like tournaments being in a European time zone or in uh, North American time zone? It if, depend- you're not, if you're not there. I was going to say, it depends if I'm there or not. Uh, you know what? I kind of like watching hockey during the day. Mm-hmm. So if I can get that, I like that. I like the days. I know the U18s last year were great, but it's like those games are like were ending at like midnight at the mm-hmm. end of the night. It's like, that's great, but it's like my evening's gone. And if I'm sure. like doing hockey stuff all day in the afternoon, in the morning, and then at night, it's like, well, like I'm watching hockey, it's awesome. Yeah. But it's like, I did, it's like for two weeks or a week and a half, it's like, you don't get to do anything else if it's at night, and if it's in the morning, it's great. World Championship, my favorite schedule in the world, because it's not too early, it's the game started at nine, yeah. and it's over by four. There you go. And then the coverage holds. Perfect, well, that's the end of Rapid Fire. And Thank that's- you. That's the end of this podcast. So thank you very much for BetMGM for sponsoring the show. Thank you very much, Ryan, of course. Uh, the playoffs are coming up in, in the NHL, the CHL, and a lot of different levels. And the U18s are coming up. The World Championship will be here before too long. One of my favorites. So mm-hmm. it's a good time to be a hockey fan. That's right. As the season's ending, that's the best time to, to start watching. So uh, thank you, everyone, for watching, listening, or however you consume it. We'll see you again soon. I can feel my soul.